I've recently returned from the Philippines on a visit to see the recovery work we've been doing in response to the massive typhoon which struck there at the end of 2013. Over 6,000 people died, over 4 million were forced from their homes. A little over a year on, the transitional housing is in place and people are beginning to earn a living again, no longer just relying on handouts. And on my first community visit to Tacloban, one of the places hardest hit, I was welcomed by hundreds of genuinely smiling and grateful faces. It took only the gentlest of questions for those smiles to evaporate, for the tales of bereavement and trauma to pour out. In this coastal community, a huge body of water six metres high had swept in, wrecking homes and carrying people caught at ground level upwards and inland at the same time, claiming many victims on the way. One woman told me that for her, it had been a case of swimming along in this body of water with her four children calling out, Mum, Mum, how long do we have to keep swimming? And she replied, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. And she said to me, I didn't know how I would keep on swimming. And then came the challenging question, so what are you doing about climate change? Because she knows, as I know, that climate change is making extreme weather events like Typhoon Haiyan more and more likely, and that without urgent and rad radical action to cut carbon emissions, it's only a question of time until another massive typhoon strikes. I think we should hold her predicament and her question firmly in our minds during our discussions tonight. Because any, any consensus about how we best approach the common good must be up to addressing the biggest enemies to that common good. Christian Aid's top three, which we identify as the three very biggest drivers of poverty, climate change, international tax dodging, and the scandal of gender inequality, which means that women and girls represent the large majority of people living in extreme poverty. Now, arriving at some shared view of how to focus on the common good is a complex task which does lend itself to do what we're doing tonight, breaking it down into business and government and civil society. But that siloed approach is fraught with difficulty at the end because ultimately we have to transcend all of those divisions. I think that presents a challenge and an opportunity to each one of us on the panel, whichever part of the debate we start from. At Christian Aid, we start from here. The poverty that we see is incompatible with our belief that every person is made in the image of God and so is of inherent dignity and infinite worth. The scandal of poverty means that whilst we have enough resources in the world to go round, 1.4 billion people in the world live below the extreme poverty line of $1.25 a day. And what we know is that poverty is not just about money. Poverty is about power, about the misdistribution of personal, social, political, and yes, economic power. 
and poverty is incompatible with the common good. So we need to respond to our desire for the common good by dismantling the environment in which poverty flourishes and putting in the building blocks of a world without poverty in which personal, social, political and economic power are truly shared. This is a world in which true charity flourishes. And I'm probably not using the word in the way that you think. Let me say a little bit more about what I mean. A common individual charitable impulse is, I think, one of sympathy, one that says, I'm sorry you're hungry, that you've had an earthquake, don't have access to clean water. Let me, my government, my business, help you get some food, some shelter, some water. I think all of us support and endorse these acts of charity. And as we've seen with a tremendous response so far from the public to the Nepal earthquake, we really, really do need them. And at the same time, we recognize that as important as they are, these acts of charity don't necessarily create more than a temporary sense of connection. A less charitable impulse is the one about getting someone off the phone when they phone for a donation, uh, which may lead us to give them a small donation without any intention to repeat it. And at the business level, some CSR programs fall into that category, designed to keep the dividends flowing, the reputation intact, and NGOs from coming to the AGM. These apparently charitable activities, by creating an illusion of engagement, box ticked, actually facilitate disconnection. And then I think we have the most transformational notion of charity, which is all about building relationships of integrity, which pivot on the idea that we are all equal and that we all deserve a place at the table. We find this meaning in older translations of the Bible where the word caritas is translated as charity, where modern versions use the word love. Charity, translated in a Christian sense, is about a full and wholehearted and demanding kind of love. It's not about short-termism, but relentless commitment to what is good for the other, manifested in right and just and loving relationships and in the deepest kind of giving. In pursuit of the common good, we need to get back, I'd say, to the richness of that biblical meaning. And I think in that richness lies some of the learning about the path that individuals, states, governments, and civil society need to tread. There's been something of a, a, an unhealthy standoff historically between different actors state, government, civil society. You see it when people say the church should stay out of politics or argue that the state should not interfere at all with the possibility of free markets or personal privacy or that civil society should not be talking to businesses. Standoffs may bring parties to the table, but they don't provide the stuff of real conversation, reconciliation or transformation. I'm not saying there's no role here for personal responsibility. We can't expect businesses to change the world whilst we want to pay next to nothing for our clothes and not to ask if the person who made them got paid a living wage. We have to ask ourselves, what is my contribution? What do I stand for? Am I doing what I can to create the environment in which poverty could be addressed, the common good could be realized? 
But given the massive challenges of climate change and tax justice and gender justice, businesses and governments have a huge role to play that civil society just can't fill in on its own. So whilst we have personal responsibilities, it's also right that we continue to hold businesses and governments to account. Without pressure from us, governments are prone to short-termism, to buckling under the lobbying of the business community in particular. And they, in any event, lack jurisdiction to address global problems in a wholly reliable way, as I know from my own work in financial regulation. Business leaders may well find themselves under too much investor pressure to focus on uh, the long-term gains. But at their best and acting together with us, with civil society, government and business have real capacity to drive decisions which will have a lasting, positive, transnational effect. Some of the great changes of the last 70 years bear witness to the power of civil society at its best the dismantling of apartheid, the success of the civil rights movement in the US, the dropping of poor country debt. These changes bear witness to the power of people of like mind coming together around a common cause. To some extent, they indicate the power of vulnerability. How awesome it is when people put themselves on the line for the freedom of others. It's tough for governments and businesses to show vulnerability, and that may be why they are so often stuck in a defensive pose, which makes change more difficult. Well-organized and well-intentioned civil society actors can provide the political and the commercial cover necessary for long-term common good decision-making. Let me finish by taking you back briefly to the lady I met in Tacloban in the Philippines. If you donated to the Christian Aid or the DEC appeal for the 2013 typhoon, you helped her get back on her feet for now. But if we believe that she also deserves a share of the common good, then her question counts, her voice counts. And she'll only have proof that it's paid off for her to ask me the question if the answer she gets shows government, business and civil society acting together. Only by coming together can we hope to tackle the world's biggest challenges and really begin to build something worthy of calling the common good. Until then, we need to keep on swimming just a little bit longer. Thank you very much.